This is The Guardian. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Guardian Football Weekly. And while we did all agree that ridiculous scorelines at major tournaments are bad for the women's game, obviously it's different if England do it. An astonishing eight brackets, eight close brackets, nil win over one of the tournament's stronger sides in Norway. So what was that? Just sheer brilliance from Serena Wiegmann's side, pressing from the front, taking every chance that went their way. Beth Mead's absolute brilliance. Or did they come up against a team who just forgot how to play, who went... Roy Hodgson's England's men versus Iceland for 45 minutes. When do we start planning the route for England's victory parade? Is Ellen White's dive the greatest of the modern era? And has Robin Cowan peaked? Good evening, Lord Sugar. Elsewhere, France sliced Italy apart and we look ahead to Germany, Spain tonight. Also, Ten Hag says Ronaldo is in his plans, but can he press? Erling Braut Haaland's unveiled. We'll do some Serie A transfer stuff. All that plus your questions. And that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. John says, is Barry comfortable being the symbolic male presence on the panel? Welcome, Barry Glendening. Hello. Uh, Elliot says, I had to double take on at Susie Rack because I thought it said Rishi Sunak. Um, <laughs> Susie, can you, can you confirm or deny whether you're running for the Tory leadership? Jesus Christ, no. And <laughs> uh, Nikki Bandini, hello. I'd be happier about the Tory leadership contest if Susie's involved. I'd have more faith in her than I think anyone there, so... <laughs> Just be slightly surprised to discover that Susan would, is sitting quite <laughs> member of parliament for the Conservative Party. She, she is quite busy. <laughs> right, shall we start then with England 8, Norway 0, 6 nil up at half time. I mean, there are two parts to games like this. One is one team being really good and the other is one team being really bad. Let's focus on England first. I saw Kate Borsay from the uh, Offside Rule pod saying, look, I'm a bit bamboozled. I've been following England women since 2009. I've never seen a first 45 like that before. Um, Susie, at what point did you think this is ridiculous? Third goal, I reckon, probably. Uh, Even the second. I, I actually predicted Norway to edge this game. I mean, that's like... Norway are, are, in theory, a very, very good team, right? So that's what made it all the more shocking. Um, you know, you look at their front three, Ada Hagerberg, Champions League, Women's Champions League record goal scorer, um, just won the, her fifth Champions League title with Leon and absolutely bossed the final. Got Gurraiten, double winner with Chelsea, incredibly important to their forward line. And you've got Caroline Graham Hansen, who is like absolute machine at Barcelona this is like one of the best uh, most sought after forward lines in world football it's incredible and yet they didn't see the ball like the Norwegian defence was the like red flag for them going into this tournament in that they had at centre back Marami Elder for Chelsea who's been like not not had many games in the past two seasons she had an ACL injury she's like a sort of return has been quite muted and slow um and then uh, Maria Forestier who uh, was a Chelsea player and sold by Emma Hayes a season ago moved had underwhelmed sort of later into her Chelsea career and then had a pretty underwhelming season for Manchester United last uh, last season too so like they were not the strongest at the back but that front line you just thought that they would get some goals at least um, and I, it's very funny when Johnny Lou turned to me uh, after Ada Hagerberg was subbed off and just went, Ada Hagerberg was on the pitch. Ada <laughs> Hagerberg was playing. <laughs> um, and I, it just summed it up. I mean, she just was absolutely nowhere, completely played off the park. And she's, I, I've, I, she was so fired up at uh, head of the head of kickoff as well. You know, real like big, heavy. Uh, gesturing in the team talk they all high-fived like went round little circle double high-fiving each other and she was like the last player to do it and then she was like you know kind of sprinting across the pitch very enthusiastically and then it was just utter collapse after that Susie mentioned Johnny Lou there and he wrote in his piece that 
it's common if England beat a team for people from Ireland, Wales or Scotland to gleefully point out that, well, that team <laughs> must be rubbish if England have beaten them, you know. In You've never done that bad, have game, you? But <laughs> I've, I've done it on a note. And I think, I reckon he was possibly alluding to me and, and my constant disparaging comments about the England men's team's progress to the World Cup semi-final in Russia where they beat several pub teams and then lost against the first team, the good team they played against. Is he expecting me to say that Norway were good last night? <laughs> they, they were absolutely shy. I was astonished by how bad they were. Some of their defenders looked like they'd never actually played football before. And while it's a, a fantastic result, I, it, I, I was gobsmacked by how bad Norway were. I suppose, Nikki, you can make a team look bad, can't you? I thought Baz was going to go in a different direction, actually, because Johnny, I, I thought, was, was on form in his in his column about the game and he quoted, he paraphrased Rachel from Friends and saying, it's not that common, it doesn't happen to every team and it is a big deal. And I thought that was um, very wittily done by Johnny and, and well put because it doesn't happen, right? This is unprecedented. There's never been seven goals scored, let alone eight goals scored in a, in a Euros game before. And of course, you can't have, I don't think you can have eight nils involving serious teams because Norway again I think people who don't follow women's football are not going to realize Norway are a very serious team again 11th in the world this is not something you expect to see from them so of course for, to get this sort of result it takes two to tango you have to have a, a bad performance and a good performance and and I keep thinking about um because I thought poor Thoris as um Susie's saying perhaps isn't coming off the best couple of seasons but at the same time she was dreadful she was really really sort of uh, in in sort of a spin all game and I kept wondering if it was even influenced by that sort of slightly iffy penalty decision at the start of the game if you get a penalty call given against you we've all played sport at some point in our lives not to this sort of level and and that feeling of injustice you can get when something you feel sort of has gone against you you know I can still remember as a teenager having a penalty given against me for a, a shot that I knew had hit me on the shoulder blade. And it can ruin your game, right? It can ruin your game and, and, and can put you off. And Sh- shouldn't ruin your life, <laughs> Nikki. You're still thinking about it. I know. Tell me about it. But, you know, she was in a spin and and I think that the whole Norwegian defence was in a spin. And I think England um, just sort of never, ever let up on that. And I think that was, of course, Beth Mead and White being brilliant, but it was also... Kira Walsh and Georgia Samway in midfield, just never letting Norway get the ball to that front three that Susie's already talked about. They've got a great front three and they never saw the ball. Susie Bethmead was brilliant. Uh, credit to Adam Hurry um, for his tweet, um, which said, you know, Norway 600 AD, Norway 2022, too much mead and a handshake. I, I enjoyed that. Um, <laughs> uh, it's the drink mead in the uh, 600 AD, Barry, if you're trying to work out what that tweet meant, <laughs> if I didn't explain it very well. Um, but uh, but she was absolutely brilliant, wasn't she, Susie? Incredible. And she's got it's 18 goals now under Serena Wiegmann, um, which is like a phenomenally good uh, records to have. And I like very, very jokingly after she scored against Austria said, uh, you know, obviously first game played us, so I was like, oh, so you're in top tournament top scorer now um you're going for the golden boot and she laughed at me um and now she's four in in two games so you know I think my my prediction probably should have stuck on it really but yeah she's been great and there's a great video Ian Wright posted of (laughs) of him screaming her name over and over again after she scores her second goal which for me was the standout goal that she brings so much balance to the team as well because with hemp over the other side her on the right and uh white through the middle there's you just can't tell where it's coming from. Whereas at the World Cup, it was very much down the right through Lucy Bronze and Nikita Paris. Um, and once teams figured that out, they shut it off pretty quick. And it's just a very, very different, more balanced England attack. Barry, Ellen White's sensational dive probably didn't affect the course of this football match or the result of it. I mean, it's, it got England off to a good start. It was very funny, I thought. <laughs> so, sort of got slightly impeded and then thought, I could just hurl myself on the floor here. I couldn't believe it was a penalty. Yeah, it was a touch of the Harry Canes about it. And as Nicky's pointed out, it maybe it did affect the course of the game because the player who, inverted commas, gave away the foul um, had an absolute mare. 
um, was the standout bad performer for Norway in a in a dizzying array of bad performances. <sighs> yeah, I, look, I don't like to see that, but I can't blame her. I suppose you you go down and I, I presume she was surprised to get the penalty, but there you go. Does she have form for that, Susie? Is she known for that in the game? Not particularly. Um, and I mean, to be fair, I did think like that she, w- you know, she was pulled and she could have gone down earlier, and people probably wouldn't have complained as much as maybe they are now. It it's very soft. Don't get me wrong, but it, it's it's not. She was absolutely fuming when someone suggested to her that it, there was no contact and she and it was a dive in the in the mix zone. She was not happy, uh, which was quite funny, um, especially as she had uh, taken a little bit of a ribbing in the um, pre-match presser um, over having not scored since sort of April May. She took quite an affront to any question that she was in some kind of drought. So look, England win the group, Susie, which means they uh, already people are saying that means they should avoid Germany, which means we can plot our route to the final. This isn't this. this ne- it's never been. It's not dangerous, is it, at this stage of a competition to start doing that? Well, I mean, they're through and they're top of the group, which helps. Avoiding Germany would be very, very nice um, to do. It's not a done deal. I did. I suppose the one the one hesitancy I had, like when I was thinking about are there, are there any negatives to. To, to what we just watched was the 2019 World Cup. The game against Norway was their most complete performance of that tournament. They won 3-0. Lucy Bronze scored an absolute screamer. It was just, um, you know, everyone was purring about how great Phil Neville was, which was a weird, weird situation. Then they crash out um, like in style in the next game. So it's, um, yeah, I suppose the hesitancy is... Yeah, having watched the perfect performance, expecting that we're then going to see it again and again and again. Um, and yeah, there's a risk of overconfidence, isn't there? It's a bit of a cliche, but I think there there definitely is. The thing is, is I mean, what, what I found it really impressive was once uh, Serena made a few changes, the transition between the players coming in and going out was pretty seamless. Like it didn't disrupt the flow of the game at all, the tempo. Um, if anything, it upped the ante a little bit because um, it you know, kind of relaxed a little bit in the second half. Um, so yeah, it's that was the only small, small negative or like bit of caution to take away was, you know, it, you, <laughs> it's a knockout competition. It can very quickly go sour. Susie, what did the Norwegian manager or his players have to say for themselves afterwards? Yeah, it was very much like, yeah, took it on himself, said that they're going to have to try and write this off as a as a sort of freak performance, that they're better than this, that, you know, they can still qualify, that they've got to try and pick up and not let this affect them going into that last game. You know, all, all the kind of stuff you would expect. But the as well as him speaking for like over half an hour in the press conference, um, most of the Norwegian players uh, all came out into the mix zone and spoke to the press, um, numerous different blocks of press as well. So Maria Forestotier came out, spoke to English press, spoke to Norwegian press, did written, did TV. And you just like, if it was the other way around, I'm not too sure that any of the England players would have fronted up in that way. Ada Hagerberg doing loads of press, Marin Mielder, the captain and other centre-back doing loads of press and that that really impressed me there was this real sort of owning of the result wanting to come out and talk about it and confront it and um yeah I mean at Egerberg said it was completely unacceptable um it's not exactly the probably return to international football she was hoping for that surprised me um because yeah if it was the other way around there wasn't there's no way that as many um England players would come through the mix zone if any at all um, and be quite so willing and ready to talk after such a like brutal defeat. Lars Sivertsen tweeting last night, uh, our Norwegian uh, friend, saying, look, fully funded and functioning public services, you'll never sing that. That was all he had <laughs> by the end. Uh, he texted me and he did say, I'm allowed to say it, the worst Norwegian performance in this country since the last time I tried to walk down some stairs, uh, which is... <laughs> When he broke his ankle, uh, we wish him the best. Of course, he'll be on the pod soon. Uh, Mr. Sleepy does say, and we've kind of touched on it, but he says, I understand it's a different panel, but in the last episode, uh, you discussed how you know big scores of seven slash eight were bad, not just for the tournament, for the women's game as a whole in relation to potential scores against Northern Ireland. How do people feel about it now? Is it 
Is it different, Nikki? Because this is actually this is a bit more like you know Germany seven, Brazil one in the semi final of, of, of twenty fourteen. You know, this is two good sides and one has just hammered the other, and it, this is not like. This is not a mismatch, this game. Yeah, I, I think it's sort of, it's it's bothering me a little bit that there's been a few, right? So if you like, go back to last year as you didn't have this number of results that have been this wide. Obviously, I have personal perspective on this because I've been watching Italy with all sorts of optimism. Uh, a few, um, you know, is it quite, is it, I've completely lost track of time. My sense of time is completely gone. But was it one day before, two days before? Either no way, one knows. Um, it's fine. <laughs> was watching Italy get walloped by France, having sort of come in with, with a reasonable amount of optimism. And it, you know, there have been a few, there have been eight nils, but there have been a few four goal results in this in this group stage. And it does feel like there's a bit of a wider gap this time around between haves and have nots than perhaps in in some previous tournaments. And especially when you look at again, I mean Italy below Norway in, in the sort of expectations, but a team that would have certainly had the max expectations to go somewhere in this tournament and Norway who very much had expectations to go somewhere in this tournament. And it's, it's a little bit bothersome, but I, I think certainly as a one-off result, you, you shouldn't be reading this, this one-off game. Cause I also, by the way, still wouldn't rule out at all Norway to go through the group and end up making some noise in the knockout rounds. I think even Ada Hegeberg was saying afterwards, to some extent, you sort of, at a certain point in that game, you almost mentally put a fork in it and say, well, this is over. And you you start thinking about, well, what can we do to fix this? We don't fix it in this 90 minutes. You fix it in the next game coming up. Lord Sugar sent a totally unsurprising Lord Sugar-like tweet saying uh, um, uh, earlier in the competition, saying, I'm watching the women's football. Notice that all the commentators are women. I also note when men's football is on, there is a, and he wrote, Symbolic, but I think he meant to write symbolic female commentator to cover the broadcaster's ass. Should I complain there should be a male commentator in women's football? It's very hard not to just write, oh, fuck off, Alan. But um, uh, Robin Cowan's, uh, <laughs> the camera panned to the panel. Um, there are obviously two men on the panel, and Robin Cowan went, look, there's just some of our symbolic men up there. Good evening, Lord Sugar. Susie, I thought it was absolutely brilliant from Robin. Genius, absolute genius. He's been tweeting something as well. I don't know if you've seen. He's saying, "Oh, it's great to see my good friend Ian Wright um, has has made it. Perhaps the BBC have changed their mind. They'll say they had always done it from the start. Of course. I mean, it's like <laughs> absolutely surreal when Ian Wright is like one of the biggest ad- women's football advocates on the pat. Like I sit with him at Barclays Player of the Month award lunches and things, and it's just like absolutely oozes." Uh, love for the Arsenal team in particular um, and for women's football generally was real vocal on uh, the discussion about the player of the season award as well Um, and uh, yeah so a real weird weird stick to try and pick up and bat people with I really want it's almost tempting to go on to The Apprentice just so that when you get fired you don't just timidly nod and go thank you for the opportunity Lord Sugar sort of backing out of the room you just go I didn't want it anyway you massive bell end but you know that's just <laughs> my opinion um, a nice tweet from Johnny Nicholson uh, friend of the pod said uh, Dawn looks up I presume Dawn is Mrs Nicholson says is that Adrian Childs when John Arnorisa is on the screen <laughs> And now, most importantly, Susie, um, uh, you played the Norwegian press uh, uh, earlier in the day. How did it go? Absolutely disastrously. Although, uh, so we lost 4-0, right? But I'm going to take that as a win because we had the most slapdash group of 10 players that you can imagine in mismatch kit that we pulled together last minute. Um, and they had... a pretty much a full squad of 23 um, elite athletes it seemed like you showed up and they were just like rippling abs absolutely everywhere and you're thinking what the hell have we got ourselves in for um, and they had been being trained by a top coach before they actually came out to the tournament had a player in their team who has 183 I want to say caps for the Norwegian women's team and could have legitimately been on the pitch and perhaps probably should have had the best <laughs> of the performance and, and there was another like heavily capped Norwegian women's international and then at least one men's second division player. So four goals conceded, three from set pieces, mainly to their six foot eight uh, tall centre back. So I, I think we did all right. We also had to borrow a player 
um, who we think maybe had like a English grandma <laughs> somewhere down the line that could join our ranks um, to make up our numbers. And obviously we didn't have loads of substitutions um, until they loaned us a couple more in the second half so that we could actually breathe in the ridiculously, uh, ridiculously high temperatures. Sounds like a sounds like a lot of excuses here. <laughs> Basically, we won. Is what I'm saying. It was it was it was a it was a four nil victory rather than defeat. I I feel. When do we um when do we start getting concerned about these big score lines in matches <laughs> and what it means about the standard of media football? I mean, it wasn't great. It wasn't great. I I remember you played in one of those, didn't you, Max? Before the Champions League final in it was. Kiev. It was in Kiev, yeah, and um, uh, uh, I uh, we will name no names, Barry. Um, but you know when like ex pros go, you've never played the game, you don't understand. Yeah. There were some journos there. I was going, God, I'm not sure you should be writing about this. If that's the <laughs> level. If that's the level, well, they were very hungover. To be fair, but they did have. Um, well, they were managed by Shevchenko, and they had a couple of Ukrainian internationals in centre mid, and that was quite tough. Um, Sid Lowe had a good touch, and uh, you know, and Rory Smith did some quite good work, but it was a, it was tough going on that particular morning. I don't know, Max Shevchenko didn't even win a single game in charge of Genoa, so he can't be that good. Obviously, you can... <laughs> no, you're right, you're right. <laughs> yes, Barry. Oh no, I was just going to say there, there were two players in particular you singled out as being outstandingly useless. <laughs> I, I was quite tickled by <laughs> Anyway, anyway. I also, speaking of the heat, Susie, I enjoyed uh, the uh, uh, UEFA Women's Euro 2022 official ticketing Twitter page saying, due to prolonged high temperatures across the UK, fans will be permitted to bring a single clear disposable water bottle up to 500 millilitres to the remaining group stage matches. Bottle lids will be removed by stewards upon entry to the stadium. Wow, was it Johnny Chubb says, with this, you are really, you are spoiling us with this. <laughs> this is too much, half a litre of water in 30 degrees, for God's sake. You say this, but I remember at the Women's World Cup in 2019, right? We were told we weren't allowed, even as like media, to take on in any bottled water. It, could, it had to be, fans couldn't bring in any at all. And that was like 30 plus degree heat. Um, we had to bring in the branded, like sp- only sponsored water only. And so I was, I, I, I'd had bottles of water taken off me for that reason. And then so I thought, all oh, right, I'll be smart. I got a um, a reusable bottle. I came in with that. And then that got confiscated oh. for uh, being metal. And I, I remember just like shouting at one of the stewards uh, in outside the Leon Stadium, I'm a journalist, not a criminal. <laughs> um, like desperate to get this water in. It was like 35 degrees um, and we were going into the cauldron that is the Olympic Leon Stadium. Oh, I just love the idea that you can, I just love the idea that, you know, just, I know peop, some people will throw full bottles and a player could get hit. But just the idea that people are thinking, well, I could just bring in, a, I could bring a carafe because that was, that's an open, it's an open top, isn't it? What, what do I do about this? Let people drink water. It's really hot. doesn't, oh, anyway. And it will just have like, like a stadium, like a cricket, no, but cricket matches. Is throwing lids even a thing? No, no, you, it's, no like, it's the full I, bottle, I, I, isn't it? So you throw the full bottle. No, I know. Yeah, but they, they take the lids away so you can't throw them. Like, I've, I've never known of the throwing bottle lids being no, no, like no. a thing that no, is really done, it's not, isn't you, it? it's, not, it's not you throw the bottle lid. It's that you if you close the lid, then you have a full heavy weapon. And if you throw it open... Oh, that makes so much more <laughs> yes. sense. You're <laughs> Now I'm all for it. Wow. Okay, that's the game changer. Because everyone was like sitting in the press box going, who throws lids? When is that? Why is that a thing? Why would anyone care? It's bad. You know, they're going to start taking coins off believe. people. No, how does the whole press there. box how's not the one person press, in the I mean, press box know that amazing uh, maybe there was some like <laughs> further down the way but in my section of the press box anyway we were all very very confused by the okay well given that um intelligence doesn't seem to be at a premium <laughs> in the press box, here's or 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 footballing <laughs> prowess here's either a handy tip just remove the lid yourself before you get to the stewards and put it in your pocket. <laughs> then when you get past the stewards, take it out of your wow. pocket and put it back on the bottle. Here speaks a man with super soaker experiences. All your water needs. But look, some stadiums, some sports, they just have water stations. Like, that just seems like a really sensible idea. So people can drink water. <laughs> like, you know, that's like, <laughs> it's, it's really good for you. Anyway, look, that'll do for part one. Part two, we'll round up the rest of the Women's Euros. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. 
Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. One show left on the live tour, and then we'll stop talking about it until next year's world tour. Uh, on Wednesday, we're in Glasgow. Uh, Philippe Claire, Jonathan Wilson join me and Barry. Uh, will Barry uh, end up with you holding someone's luggage aloft <laughs> and a, a, a pub full of people singing about the luggage and your name, singing your name like you're some like modern day Jesus. It's extraordinary. <laughs> I'll be honest, Max, I cannot wait for this tour to be over because <laughs> I am broken. I'm so, I mean, obviously we'll deliver on the night, but I am like a husk. I'm not designed for this sort of work, honestly. If we were in a, a rock band or something, I, I, I now understand why they all become alcoholics and drug addicts. Uh, if you couldn't make any of the shows... Um, uh, the Saturday Night Show at Hackney Empire is available on demand until the 16th of July. Uh, it is worth it for Barney's story about Glenn Hoddle and Flies, a musical finale, Ellis James's humiliating outing on the one show, <laughs> which which we've been sending him the video, pick stills from the video of, and he just can't bet. Oh, man, the story is so good. Anyway, go to myticket.co.uk, search for Guardian Football Weekly. And thanks to everyone who's who came. Nikki, you were there on Friday. Did you have a nice time in Hackney, Nikki? I had a lovely time, yeah. I, I managed to lose my bloody AirPods on the way home, so that made it a bit less oh. of a nice time. But the show itself was great. Yeah, really fun. As Barry walked off saying, that is the best show we've ever done. It was like, we're all heroes like this. Wonderful. Anyway, um, uh, let's go to Group D, France 5, Italy 1. Uh, Adam says, France had a good first half, didn't they, Barry? Um, I will go to you first, Nikki. Disappointing result for your lot. Yeah, it was rubbish. It was rubbish. And um, I think, as I was saying in, in the first section, sort of all the more rubbish for having perhaps come into it with with a bit of sort of hope and expectation. Um, I suppose the only sort of positive to take from it from an Italian standpoint was um, the feeling that unlike Norway, at least there was some sort of um, to fight back in the second half. The, the team did sort of um, show a bit of character. I thought it's a bit of a sort of odd Italy squad in that there's a, a generation of, of players sort of in their 30s and, and, and some of them even moving on into their mid and late 30s which I'm saying like it's old but it clearly isn't in real life but in football that can be um uh can can be old and 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 there's a, a group who are sort of in their mid-20s and it felt like in the second half some of those younger players like Piemonte came off the bench and, and just injected a bit of sort of fresh something into the team and and I really appreciated Piemonte in her post-game interview her her frankness because she sort of came off the bench and, and scored the consolation and and she was just she used the, the, the phrase incazzata nera for saying how she felt which you know basically means I was effing pissed off about the whole situation so she came into the game with that mindset and 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 threw something at it and yeah I don't know she's you know again she's she's not that young I think she's 24 or 25 but there was something of the sort of that mindset coming into it that at least made you feel like all right maybe there's some there's some fight left in this group even though they've had a a rotten result to, to open things up. Susie, tell me about Grace Gayoro. Um, so eight goals in six years up until this moment, and then three in 36 minutes against Italy. Yeah, I mean, she's she's a great player, like real good talent. I wasn't expecting her to be the star of the France team, I have to say. I was thinking that that would be Katoto, as I think many people were. Um, but yeah, uh, she's... Uh, she's been a very very good player for Paris Saint-Germain for a while now um and I think Scott like 20 goals in 100 or so appearances for for PSG so like isn't like a top goal scorer for them either um but yeah I, I mean it's impressive and I just wasn't expecting such a coherent performance from France um at all because don't they all hate each other isn't that well, yeah, um, there's that. Uh, the manager has caused, um, you know, like real sort of turmoil in the dressing room. You know, she's not 
hugely popular in France, very much sort of stayed in place because the France Football Federation don't seem to give much of a damn about women's football. They don't really invest hugely in the women's national team. They don't. They haven't pushed for the professional uh, league, despite you know having the best team in Europe in Lyon in their ranks. They sort of just let Lyon and PSG battle out of the top and don't don't really care about whether the other teams are pushing them or not. So there's a real sort of standoff uh, approach from the French Football Federation, and it's been to the detriment of the team. I mean, you've not got two of their best players, Eugène de Summer and Amandine Henri, who scored the absolute screamer in the Champions League final um, in this team. And it just, there is a little bit of a what if, like how good would France be if those players were involved in that in, in that tournament? Um, and it's not like they've not ever got along with the manager because I remember sitting in a press conference in France in 2019 where Diak, the manager, is like real sort of dry... Um, uh, sarcastic replies to journalists and Amandine Henri is sitting next to her just like trying to not cry with laughter basically at, at how witty the manager was being um, so it isn't I, I don't know how things have gone so sour there but I mean to say that the um, the current crops crop stepped up is is, is perhaps an understatement but it was I hesitate to say it when you know I've sort of semi said not the opposite about Norway, because defensively Norway were terrible, but England did a great job at stopping them. But I was surprised by Italy's complete and utter defensive collapse because I had them as my dark horses for the tournament. Basically, all my predictions have been crap, um, bar <laughs> that Beth Mead will win the golden boot, which was semi a joke to her in the post-match presser after Austria. So, like, you can't take any of my predictions. Perhaps just go the opposite way with all of all of your your betting needs and things. There's this idea in in that gets talked about in in men's football that there's it, Italian national team tends to produce its best sort of performances in tournaments when there is Italiuve, when there's the Juventus team is providing like this big block of players to the to the national team. And similarly with this team, it's got five five Juventus players I think started in this game and that Juventus team that did finish ahead of Chelsea in the Champions League group stage, did um, beat Wolfsburg, did win um, one of the two legs against Lyon, like played some good football, is contributing this core of players. And so there was a sense of optimism in Italy about this team going into it. And, you know, to be critical of national media, I thought it was a bit shit that the day before the game, this was on the front page because there's still a sports reference to it. And then they get walloped and it was literally on page 38. So like I thought it was a bit of a sort of, you know, what if this was the blokes, you'd still have had it on the front page and it would have been, well, this was awful. And and that annoyed me, but I don't want to just talk about Italy because France were brilliant. I mean, Delphine Cascarino's goal was was really, really nice goal. I thought, you know, again, slightly sort of helped by Italy sitting off. That sort of wide combination of Cascarino and Diani um, is going to give people trouble. I suppose the question with France, a bit like with with Norway, is, is it just going forward they've got this strength because Italy didn't really test them at all until the second half. And at that point, France were, unlike England, you kept going for the jugular. I felt like France were easing off and, and letting Italy come onto them a bit. A wonderful strike from Delphine Cascarino, daughter, of course, of Tony. Susie, how, how, are these two the favourites? Will Belgium or Iceland push uh, either of them? They played out a one-all draw. Yeah, and I don't think they'll be troubled by Belgium and Iceland. It's pretty impressive that Belgium got the draw, actually. Uh, for Iceland is a better team. Um, and perhaps should have scored more. I know they had a penalty saved as well. Um, but, yeah, I was surprised to see Iceland drop points to Belgium and I think they I- Italy can do enough against Belgium and Iceland to still go through I'm, I'm like not too worried about that although on the basis of defensive performance perhaps perhaps maybe I should be in fact they should be that I'm saying that because all my predictions are terrible <laughs> I um I did like the uh, Iceland defender who basically completely body checked the Belgian for the penalty and then just went, I got the ball, it was peak, I got the ball ref. It was really, really excellent. And the Icelandic Prime Minister, Katrin Jakobsdottir, flew to England, joined supporters in a fan park in Manchester City Centre and then went to the game. So that is, that's nice, isn't it? If presumably it's a popular Prime Minister, <laughs> I don't know if I want to be in a fan park. I don't know who is the Prime Minister now, Barry? Anyway, we don't need to do that. Um, uh, Netherlands, uh, Group C, Netherlands drew one all with Sweden, a record crowd for a Women's Euros game uh, not involving the hosts, two of the favourites for the tournament. Who who will be happier with that point, Susie? Good question. 
Um, I think they'll both be pretty happy with a point from that because that was definitely the the game that was going to slip them up. Perhaps Sweden maybe would be less happy in that, you know, many have had them as the team to beat this tournament. Um, They arguably should have done better in the Olympic final against Canada and uh, picked up the silver medal. They were third place at the World Cup in 2019. Really strong sides across the board, defensively very solid. Um, Netherlands have been a little bit shaky in um, in the build-up to the tournament. They've got a new manager in. Um, they're sort of in a slight period of, tr- of transition with Serena having gone and Mark Parsons coming in from Portland Fawns. So, yeah, it's I, I'd say probably the Netherlands may be slightly happier, but then they are the, they are the holders. So um, you can't really rule them out. But, yeah, like they're both going to go through. Um, and... I, I like I would say one of those teams will reach the final, but yeah, it's um, it's hard to say who would be happier. Germany play Spain tonight. Presumably, want Germany now to win win this game, Susie, from an English perspective. Hell yes, uh, yeah, no, um, like a quarter final against Germany, like would be a very very difficult game. I mean, you could say that off the back of um, how well England have done in the group, it could be an advantage to play them sooner. But at the same time, um, they're incredibly strong. They've got a few players back. Obviously, they played them in the Arnold Clark Cup, the little friendly tournament back in February, and um, England won that. And but it's a very that was they had a lot of players out injured, and they've got a lot of them back in their squad for this. And they always that this is their tournament. They've won it like seven or eight times. I can't remember how many. Uh, a lot. Just been the dominant force. Um, they know how to win this. They're extremely experienced. Alex Pop is an incredible player. Um, they've got a few players missing still. Xenifer uh, uh, Marajan is um, out with a ACL. I want to say um, for like the whole of the tournament and season, much next season most likely. But yeah, they've got a real balance to their squad. I'd say they're the closest to England in terms of depth. Um, and yeah. I would much rather England face them later on, um, especially when the potential runner-up of that group is Spain, who looked good but are without Pateas because of her having done her ACL in the like in the pre-tournament uh, training uh, session that they had, uh, which is obviously devastating for the tournament, but good in terms of any team that faces them doesn't have to play against the Ballon d'Or, European Player of the Year, etc. And also they're all about Jenny Hermoso up top as well, who's their record goal scorer. So it's perhaps a kind, uh, it, like, it's, yeah, another cliche is it's sort of no team in the last um, eight is going to be easy, but that's perhaps the slightly kinder of the two to play at that stage. Barry, quickly, Northern Ireland uh, lost to Austria um, and so, uh, ran them close for quite a long part of that game. Yeah, they lost 2-0. It wasn't... It was and it wasn't a comfortable 2-0. They never really threatened, I don't think. But they, I think they, at the risk of sounding patronising, you know, we we did voice concern that they might be the on the wrong end of a couple of shellackings. They, they scored in their first game. They gave Austria plenty to think about in that game last night. Um, they, they only went 2-0 up very late doors. And the Northern Ireland managers sort of went, look, we're we're just not good enough to compete at this level. You know, being in the tournament is is a triumph for them. And the England next, you you would be concerned, but hopefully it'll be a case of after the Lord Mayor's show for England and uh, the fact that they've already qualified, um, Northern Ireland won't come out in the wrong end of a hiding in that game either. But yeah, they they were pretty impressive against Austria, I thought. Susie, we'll let you go. Thanks so much for your time. Cheers for having me. Uh, and look, just get back to the training ground, do some work. I don't want to have a 4-0 defeat. <laughs> Embarrassing for the Guardian. Uh, Susie Rack there, uh, the Guardian women's football correspondent. That'll do for part two. Part three, we'll do some, uh, you know, some transfer tittle-tattle. A bit more on Serie A as well and the transfers are happening over there too. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Erling Brout Haaland's been unveiled. He said, uh, hopefully I can bring some more quality. With me as a striker, I want to have fun. When I have fun, I score goals and enjoy playing. I hope to smile a lot. Um, uh, I said before, Champions League is my favourite competition. Uh, he said what, on what he could improve. He said everything. Headers, shooting, off the ball, left foot, right foot. When asked which team he was looking forward to playing against the most, he said, I don't want to say the words, but Manchester United. Has this got you f- f- feverishly excited about seeing yeah, Erling Brett Haaland's debut for City, Barry? No, not especially. <laughs> I, I think there's a lot of people, and it's no... It's it's very unfair on Erling Braithwaite. I think there are a lot of people who would quite like him to bomb completely at Manchester City. Uh, I don't think he will. I think he's going to score loads of goals. I presume the rivalry is, or the the Manchester United comment is is possibly well. He was born in Leeds. They hate Manchester United. His dad played for City. They hate Manchester United. The the Roy Keane thing. I'm looking forward to seeing him play. I think he'll do well. A lot of people want him to fail. But, yeah, it's difficult to imagine he won't score, like, at least 25 goals next season. <laughs> say, at least 1,000 goals. But, look, you yeah. never know, Nicky, do you? No, you don't. And, and it is, like... It's a change of idea, isn't it? And, in general, it's sort of always felt like Guardiola's sides work best without that sort of classic number nine figure and he's always seems to at the same time have wanted this sort of um number nine and has, has looked at different options at different times but he's just such a talented footballer it's it's sort of hard to imagine someone as individually um brilliant as he is not succeeding but it, it's definitely interesting it's going to change the dynamic of their attack for sure because he's a very um different type of number nine to what they've had there so yeah interesting to watch uh, with over 465 million social media followers, there are reports of pressure from sponsors to keep Ronaldo at United. This is what we've come to. Uh, Eric Ten Hag says, Cristiano Ronaldo is not for sale. He's in our plans. I don't know if it's just, you know, for Instagram. He said, I spoke with Cristiano Ronaldo before the issue came up. I have a good conversation with him. He hasn't told me that he wants to leave. I mean, Barry, can you summon some more? I mean, this can, should we just not say his name until he goes somewhere else until the start of the season? Should that be our plan? What should we do? I don't know where he would go or who can afford to pay him and that would want him and be able to afford. I think that's a very, I, I can't think of a single team who would want him and be able to afford to pay him. I don't. I think Eric Ten Hag has to say he's in his plans. I doubt he's in his plans. I don't think um, Eric Ten Hag is going to want uh, a centre forward who doesn't press. I, I wouldn't imagine that features prominently in his blueprint. It, it, I suppose you have to say, or you were obliged to say, it'll be interesting to see what happens, but I find it quite tedious speculating on Ronaldo's future. Eric Ten Hag has confirmed that Harry Maguire will continue as the Manchester United captain next season. Cue absolute social media meltdown. I mean, last week, Arteta out was trending after a 5-3 victory in a pre-season friendly. Um, uh, this time is a chance for Manchester United fans to be uh, up in arms a month before the season started. Um, uh, elsewhere, Wayne Rooney is set to be appointed as the new manager of MLS side DC United, uh, who he played for, didn't he? So uh, a homecoming for Wayne Rooney. That's a slightly strange move for him, unless he particularly has a hankering to live in Washington. I don't quite know. Quite a nice city. It's quite a nice place to live, you know. It's... Never, never been. But um, I, I know he liked the anonymity anonymity he had when he was there oh, as a player. Wayne Rooney's he, a momonymity. <laughs> a momonymity. He, you know, he was able to go out and just stroll around and not, get hassled unlike me on the streets of Hackney Mac. You know, <laughs> I, I feel his pain mm. uh, but 
Yeah, I think if you'd hung on... Are you, you going to join men in blazers just for a quieter <laughs> life, Barry? That's yeah. what's going to happen. <laughs> I think if he'd hung on, he'd have, you know, he'd have been in line for a decent job. Definitely championship, possibly Premier League in a couple of months, but good luck to him, you know. I bet it makes it sound like managing an MLS isn't a decent job. I bet it's a very, yeah, I, I, yeah. I do. I disagree with the decent job part of that, but I mean, I guess you mean a, a job at a a job in England. I guess is what you mean. Yeah, yeah, that is what I mean. Sorry, it it does make me sound very parochial, but I. <laughs> The standard in MLS isn't. Yeah, great, I mean, I have to be honest with, with my sort of blind spots. I I used to follow MLS quite closely when I was living over there, and I haven't the last few years. Certainly, at the time, it it felt like it it still had sort of big gaps in 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 quality. But I, I don't want to speak to it because I don't um, have that level. But I mean, in terms of as a as a job in a working environment, likely sort of remuneration. I suspect he's doing just fine. So excellent news also for our world tour that we're planning. We'll play Washington <laughs> as Barry hates Washington DC. <laughs> That's where we'll play. What's the latest on Morgan Gibbs White, Barry? Uh, I believe uh, yeah. Wolves. The only transfer Barry cares about. Wolves have rejected a depending on where you read it, twenty to twenty five million pound bid from Everton. So well, Morgan well, Morgan may posted. have uh, dodged a bullet there. More as we get it, our sources and what we understand about that transfer. Uh, there's been an interesting, um, and we don't have time today, but perhaps we'll do it uh, on Thursday when I think we're back. Noticing when, when teams have gone on their pre-season tours, the players that they've left behind because they haven't been vaccinated and they've gone to a country that has stricter vaccination rules, maybe the States or Australia. Um, but that might be something worth looking at on Thursday because it's quite an interesting story. I was slightly baffled by the fact that Antonio Conte had Spurs out training in um, Seoul in hot, humid. and it, So they did a two-hour training session, and then he had them running lengths up and down the pitch, up and down the pitch, and loads of them f- completed their laps and then fell to the ground in exhaustion. And this seems to have been a source of total amazement. Spurs fans getting very excited that their players are made to, being made to run in pre-season training. I don't, is, is that not like the most basic thing imaginable? <laughs> I've been watching these videos. As I said to you on the radio, I watched them. A video of some of a physio measuring Rich, the length of Richarlison's legs. And I think, well, we're, we're definitely got a chance of the title. Now we know how long Richarlison's legs are. That's what I needed to see. Well, I, I would argue if Richarlison's legs are long enough to reach the ground, then they're, <laughs> they're probably long enough. <laughs> What more do you want? <laughs> uh, Nicky, let's talk about uh, Serie A. First of all, actually, Aaron Hickey, who's left Serie A, uh, left Bologna to go to Brentford for £14 million. Uh, they've also signed Thomas Strakosha on a free transfer from Lazio. Um, uh, producer Joel says, both signings feel very Brentford. That sounds quite derogatory, doesn't it? Uh, what are Brentford getting? Aaron Hickey's coming off a, a really strong season, actually, at Bologna. Um, I, I was really impressed with him um, in his time in Italy. I thought he, he played well. I thought he... Um, was one of those sort of quiet stories. I actually, I'll be honest about it. I feel guilty I didn't write about him more because, um, yeah, I, I think I should have done. But, you know, he scored, I was just checking the numbers. I knew he scored a few goals. He scored five goals despite playing um, mostly sort of wing back a lot of the time. So he, he was really, contributed a lot going forwards, was very much a regular starter for first New Smilovich's team. I thought, again, he, I thought he had a really impressive season this season. Strakosha, I have mixed feelings about um he is yeah someone who has I don't know he's he's one of those keepers who I I don't fully trust not to not to commit a massive clangor at any given moment he did start 23 games for, for Lazio last season so he certainly played plenty for Lazio but he's not a goalkeeper who I massively trust but looks the part has the sort of size command of area thing going on has, has made a couple of sort of really eye-catching saves but I, I find him a little bit inconsistent so I'm, I, I'd be less less positive about that signing than the Hickey one Hickey I think is, is a very good young player his career is moving in the right direction Paul Pogba is back at Juventus um, uh, uh, on a free after being sold for 100 million euros six years ago contract until 2026 uh, are Juve fans over the moon it's Pog back Pog back is what right, everyone's saying is. in in Italy um, yeah 
people are very enthusiastic about um, about Pogba at Juventus. I, I think this is a conversation I was having with someone else the other day, and and I, and I certainly had the conversation about Mourinho with with you on on Football Weekly. That I think sometimes when a player or a manager leaves a league and then comes back, it's almost like the memory of them is fixed in time, right? So when Mourinho went away from Italy, then he came back to Italy. It was like in the minds of many people in Italy, even though they'd be aware that he didn't have the best time at Tottenham Manchester United, this was still Mourinho who won the treble at Inter. And I think for Juventus fans, Pogba is still Pogba who won repeated Serie A titles under Antonio Conte, under Max Allegri at the end, who went from being this sort of interesting teenager to being a genuinely dominant player who helped them play in Champions League finals, who had that... I know mean, he was playing at a time when, when Pirlo was there as well. And, and the two of them both had that extraordinary ability to open up games with long passes, as well as in, in Pogba's case with those box to box runs. I think um, what's happened over the last few years at Manchester United is outweighed by those memories for a lot of people. Now, can he still do it in the same way? Who knows? But I do think it's not ridiculous to acknowledge the differences between leagues without falling into cliche to acknowledge differences between the leagues to acknowledge things like what Fikayo Tomori told me the last season where he said look games in England can be more like a basketball game games in in Serie A can be more like an NFL game where you've got plays you've got sort of um more of a sort of strategic and 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 thought through sort of actions all the time and perhaps Pogba does suit suit that better. Perhaps having time on the ball does suit him better, does allow him to make those sort of more eye-catching interventions because he's just got that little extra fraction to to think about them. And I think for Juventus, who obviously finished fourth last season, you look at the signings, him coming in, Di Maria coming in. When I look at their team, I think, well, there's no reason this team shouldn't be competing for the title again because up front you could be looking at Federico Chiesa, Dusan Vlavic and Angel Di Maria in midfield, uh, a midfield of of perhaps Pogba and um, Locatelli and then maybe uh, Rabiot, who has been frustrating a lot, but ended the season more strongly. It starts to sound like a pretty strong team. So I think he'll I think he'll be a very welcome addition to them for sure. Rabiot is Rabiot is Rabiot. Rabiot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't hear Rabiot's name without... <laughs> And picturing the look of contempt <laughs> with which it's like Candyman, isn't it? You can't just say it once. Anyway, Rabio is Rabio is Rabio. That'll do for today. Uh, thank you, Nikki. Anytime. Cheers, Baz. Cheers. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday, I think. Uh, yes, Thursday. Um, uh, we're doing a post live show pod with Philippe and Wilson. So uh, we look forward to seeing you in Glasgow if you're coming. Uh, If not, we'll chat to you on Thursday. Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove with help from Arif Islam. Our executive producer is Danielle Stevens. This is The Guardian.